good everybody welcome back to the posting up podcast with keith smith the legend to my right and me the tag along mr adam taylor brought to you by heavy on sports keith we haven't really spoke since christmas time i, I had some stuff going on and you've had some stuff going on so before we even do anything man how was your christmas it was good, man. Nice and low key. We we just hung out. We're we're no longer in that phase where we have to get up at like five in the morning because we have an overly excited kid in the house now. She she we have to wake her up. So yeah, it was good and a lot of basketball on Christmas Day. It's it's, it's a work day around here around these parts. So yeah, but but we made plenty of time for family time and fun and food and all the good stuff that's supposed to come with the Christmas Day. You're telling me you're not the overgrown kid in the house on Christmas Day? <laughs> no, I am. I'm just not getting up at four or five in the morning. Yeah, it's my my wife says all the time we had a baby and somehow she ended up with two children. Yeah, I've had that same like sentiment shared towards me as well. So I completely I, I get it. Our daughters are the same age, so uh, I, I went through similar. There was no five a.m. wake up, but yeah. <laughs> I, I was up quite early. But that was my choice, not hers. I don't think sure. she was too pleased. We've got a bunch of stuff that we haven't touched on, and we can touch on that on another episode. But I think for today, we, as we discussed before we came on air, just so everyone watching can kind of keep up with us, we're going to look at the trade deadline like a primer, right? I mean, we're too far out to really deep dive, but we're far, we're close enough to be able to be like, hey, what the hell's going on with some of these teams, and where can we look for some value? So I think the first place I want to start is, <clears throat> excuse me, digging into that encyclopedia of knowledge that you bring. I want to know who you think are the sellers. Yeah, it. this is tricky right now. And this has been getting more so over the last few years. There's been a couple of developments in the NBA that have really changed things. The first one was the flattening of the lottery odds. Teams don't need to be egregiously bad now all season long. They can just kind of be naturally bad and just play themselves into that bottom three and have the same chance. So nobody's really racing to the bottom the way they used to be. The other thing on the other end of the spectrum is we have the play-in tournament. And with the play-in tournament, what happens now is teams are in it. Normally, by the time we get to about this point in mid-January, a month or so out from the trade deadline, we have a whole bunch of teams that are like, all right, we've got nothing to play for. It's time to start focusing on the future. And if we've got one, two, three veteran guys, let's look to start moving them. Well, as it stands right now, we've only got about five or six teams that are kind of out of it and don't really have anything to play for. We'll get into a handful of teams that are they're they're in the playing mix, but do they really care? Do they want to be? That's a little bit of a different story. So sellers are not as defined yet. That's why I keep saying anyone who talks to me about this stuff is we got to go probably another two, three weeks. And I know that's tough because right, we all want trades. It's fun. We want that action. We, we want those uh, trades to, to start coming in and getting us all buzzing and flipping out on Twitter. And I, nothing I love more than a big trade or simultaneously a big moment in like a playoff game when my tweet deck starts scrolling so fast I can't even read it like it's just fun but in this case right now our only really defined sellers that you can say for sure there's only five and it's the of course the five worst teams in the league San Antonio Houston in the west and then in the east it's Charlotte Orlando and Detroit so those teams are all probably open to yeah what can we do Challenge with a couple of those teams, they're pretty young. It's like they're sitting on a whole bunch of vets to sell off. So so it's a little even that market's a little hit or miss. And the question that's kind of come to me while you're speaking, uh, and it's something that interests me. I don't know if anyone else is going to be interested, but you've got teams like Utah that were meant to be rebuilding. They've found some success throughout the first half of the season. 
um, you know, some of their players were bought in just to rebuild value to flip them for longer term assets. And now they're looking at a playing spot because some teams that were projected to be good in the West haven't been. And some teams that were projected to be bad, the Jazz, are doing quite well. So could we see teams that are currently in that playing playoff contention try and bottom out simply because it's not their timeline right now? I think so. I think with Utah, they're, they're a really fun team to monitor. I think much like the Celtics under Danny Ainge a few years back, Brad Stevens' second year in Boston, they got better quicker than anybody expected. And the Nets were already showing signs of like, this isn't going to work. This might go real sideways. And I think Danny Ainge very correctly read the market of, hey, let's make a couple moves in support of this team. We'll pursue the eighth seed. We'll get in because we're going to let Brooklyn do our losing for us over the next few years. And that's exactly how it played out. He may be reading the market and saying, you know what? Let me try to prop up my team here in Utah. Let's try to win. And then we can go into a position where we let Minnesota do our losing force. If, if, if he feels like they're not going to figure it out and get it together. I could also very easily see Danny Ainge saying, yeah, it's cool that we're around 500 and maybe we'll be a playing team, but that's not really where we want to be. If I can get some future assets down the line to trade off a couple of vets. We drop out, we're a you know, lower end lottery team. It's not the end of the world because it's still a better season than what's expected. We've, I don't want to call it found gold because Lori Markinen was a good player and they correctly read he was ready to make a jump, but we've got nice building blocks in place for our foundation moving forward. And maybe we can really build this thing out. So it wouldn't surprise me if he looked at it and said, eh, I'm just not that interested in chasing the 10 seed in the play-in. And, and I am going to turn turn the corner towards rebuilding. That's going to happen with a couple of teams. The Jazz aren't the only ones. I think Toronto could make that decision. Washington, I think, is a good team that potentially could go that way, although they seem perfectly content to be somewhere between the 7 and 10 seed every year for the remainder of time. Um but it's, you know, we'll see Chicago maybe kind of sort of I don't think they're quite ready to to throw in the towel yet. Um but yeah, it's going to be be that. And I'll say Oklahoma City, fun story. It's really super cool that they're right on the edge of the plan. I just don't know that that's necessarily where they want to be, but I also don't, who, who are you moving off that roster, right? Where it's like, well, this is a vet that's on that team that has to be moved. Like they don't necessarily really have that guy. So they, they may be content to just play it out as is and what it would let the chiefs chips fall where they may. Indiana strike me as another team where it's kind of, they could go either more into building around what's already there. Cause of the way Halliburton's playing this year. And you've got some growth there from Jalen Smith and, Neesmith's actually found a good role there. So you've got pieces you can build around. Or they could be like, hey, and we'll speak about this more in a moment, but hey, we can try and move off of Turner and Buddy Hield and so forth and just try and get younger and give ourselves a, a core that's going to stand a bit longer of a development process. So I, I'd put them in there. Let me say one thing on them. Sorry to interrupt you. Adam. No, of course. I think the next two weeks without Tyrese Halliburton is going to define which direction they go. It'll be if they hang in and they're still right around the sixth seed, then it'll be, all right, you know what, instead of using this, because they're still sitting on almost 28 million in cap space right now. They're about 15 million under the salary floor. So they've got to add money to that roster one way or another. Uh, we'll find out if they do that through renegotiate and extend with Miles Turner. Um, did not get super deep into the weeds on that, but they could up his current year contract by about $15 million, bring him up near his max, and then basically use that as an 
upfront bonus on an extension where then you could, what it, let's say, let's say we all agree Miles Turner's worth $20 million or $20 million per year, uh, $80 million total over the next four years. You could say, hey, we'll give you $15 million of it right now, and then we'll pay you sixty-five dollars total in the extension and keep your, your going forward number down a bit. We could see potentially something like that play out. Or do they struggle over the next two weeks and say, all right, you know what, we're going to use that $27 million in space, that room under the floor to really – eat up and say, let's go take on a whole bunch of money and trades and those kind of things. See, with Turner, what gets what's interesting for me there is there's reports that they kind of didn't agree to an extension. I know Turner said that those reports weren't exactly accurate. Yeah. But when you look at it from... (laughs) Sorry, I'm going (laughs) to... It just makes me laugh of... Well, of course they didn't agree to extension because it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like, you know, nothing happens until it happens. Like, that's just, those always kind of make me laugh where he's like, did I sign an extension? No. Then that means we haven't agreed to one. That doesn't mean that the two sides like flipped the table over and went out separate doors of the conference room in a big cough. Like, you know, and I think that's where people go to with that. But one thing with Turner that's important to keep in mind with the Pacers end of January, they have until the end of this month to do that renegotiation and extension. And then that comes off the table. You can't do that uh, after the end of January. So just ahead of the trade deadline. So if he doesn't sign it, Pacers stumble, we may see a slightly different direction here from Indiana. And just so everybody knows, once he's assuming he signs, if we operate in a universe where that's been signed and he has extended, how long is it until he can be traded? What's the restrictions there? Yeah, it'll be, I believe, on a renegotiated extension. I have to look it up, and I'm not in a position to do that at this very second. But I believe it's six months uh, on that one because he would be extending beyond the realm of a uh, extended trade uh, possibility in that situation. So that that would give him a six-month trade restriction. So he'd basically be in Indiana. If they're renegotiating and extending him, they're doing it with the idea of we want to keep him around here long term. Which, by the way, if a dude's in trade rumors every year for like seven years running and doesn't get traded, there's probably a reason for that. It's probably he doesn't want it and the team doesn't want to trade him, despite everybody's best efforts to try and trade for him. And people watching this, like, you know, you cover the Celtics, I cover the Celtics. We can just liken that to Marcus Smart's early years in Boston. <laughs> a little bit, yeah, sure. Yeah, second, year, second contract of his career, he was in trade rumors Absolutely. every summer, every um january so and he's still there so it could just be that i do that's a really good point that i you know for any non-paces fans we can liken it to marcus smart to a lesser extent we could probably even say westbrook but i do think that he'd get flipped at the first given opportunity yeah i mean he's um, already been traded twice right so that's that, that <laughs> again i guess three times I, I, uh, i'm forgetting the original trade that sent him from okc to houston it's, it's just unloved he just cannot find a home but that's for another that's for another day. <laughs> that's for the Westbrook podcast. I'm sure there's plenty. Um, I want to move on. We'll look at some of the teams now. I've got a list of teams here that I find interesting. We're gonna they're split across the West and the East. Um, and I'm just kind of gonna see what who you think are some realistic targets, what areas they need to fill. So the way we'll try and do this is I'll say a team, we'll di- discuss the areas they need to fill, and then we can talk about potential targets for them. That so sounds gonna... good. One thing I want to say, just as a prep, everybody, I'm probably going to mention the same names 
a handful of times for some of these teams because again as we talked off the top there's not a ton of sellers right now so you're gonna hear some of the same veteran player names but you know i think needs was where we'll really start to separate and differentiate some with these teams with that being said i want to go to new york the big apple you just come off christmas there's going to be lots of sales nowhere better to go shopping so looking over at new york what would you say their biggest needs are right now yeah, I think for the Knicks, it's a little bit more uh, assured depth. The the You don't want to go getting them 12 deep because it doesn't matter. Tibbs isn't going to play 12 guys. But if you could upgrade a couple of those spots in their nine-man rotation by adding a veteran or two in there, I think, think that would be your work well done. They're a team that is significantly under the luxury tax line. They can also... If you look at it moving forward, they're a team that's probably going to be pretty expensive starting relatively soon because you've got the extension kicking in for RJ Barrett. You've got some other guys on contract. Third thing for the Knicks, they have very movable contracts for guys who are non-rotation players right now, like Evan Fournier, Derek Rose, players like that. So in that situation, that puts them in play for just about anybody who becomes available. And they have a bunch of additional first round picks that they can trade to almost all those come with goofy protections on them. And it may be a while before they see them. There's a couple, I may never actually see them, but it's still stuff you can put into a trade. So the Knicks, despite the fact that they, they didn't throw all that in all in for Donovan Mitchell trade, they could still do that down the line. But I think if they really wanted to get serious and said, all right, what did we really need? probably another shooter, probably another wing. They could be very easily in the race for Kyle Kuzma, uh, Boyan Bogdanovich, if the Pistons really wanted to move on from him. There's there's guys like that that they can get in the mix for. I think they could also you know, look a little lower down the line if they're like, we just really need to add a shooter. You could look at someone like Terrence Ross from Orlando where it's like, all right, that's he's going to come pretty cheaply. And, you, and if it's you know, Orlando's like, we want to, you know, protected first for him. New York more so than a lot of these other teams because they're sitting on all those extra picks. They could do that where like a bunch of other teams are going to be like, well, how about two seconds? We could do that. And the Knicks may be able to beat an offer. But that's what I think they're looking for is one more veteran player for the rotation, somebody you can really trust because they're playing an awful lot of young guys right now. And it's just a little bit shaky at times. I know you mentioned um, at the top of the show you feel like Chicago are one of those teams that could go like either way right now. They might blow it up. They might try and just juice what they've already got because we do see some good flashes from them. I remember looking at um, NBC Sports Chicago probably about 10 days ago, maybe just under, and I saw there was um, a few different of their writers pointing at a potential Zach Levine to New York because New York are one of the only teams with the the draft capital and the young players to be able to f- facilitate a deal like that at this time of the year. Um, so if if Chicago or a team like Chicago was to decide, hey, yeah, these next two weeks haven't gone the way we wanted, we don't feel confident in the playoffs that we're actually going to make much noise. It's better to hit the reset button now. Could could New York go star hunting for one of those type of players, the Levines or somebody along those lines? So two things. Let me talk to Chicago part of it very briefly first, and then I'll touch on the Knicks, Knicks side of that. I think with Chicago, your challenge is 
And it's this is just the nature of where we're at right now. They have a good week, win a couple games and play well. They're like, all right, it's not time to trade everybody. Let's stay. They have a bad week and look terrible, and they lose a few games. Then it's, all right, let's, what do we do with Levine and DeRozan and Vucevic and all those guys? With the Knicks for Levine, this is, I'm going to say something that is believed in the NBA, but something I wholeheartedly disagree with. There is a sense of if you don't make the Donovan Mitchell trade, you can't then go trade for Donovan Mitchell light, which is kind of what Levine is a little bit, right? That's that's being a little unfair to both players because Mitchell's you know really really good and Levine is also really really good, but I think he's probably a you know half tier below Mitchell um, for for most folks. Um, for me, it's mostly the injury related concerns that knock him down, maybe even a full tier because of that, but. There's a belief in the league is you turn around and do that. And let's say we're a year in and now uh, Levine is out, you know, 45 games with knee soreness uh, every year. You're just going to get destroyed because it's going to be until the contract runs out or you trade him again. It's going to be, why didn't we do this for Donovan Mitchell? I don't believe in that theory necessarily because you can't bow to the fan pressure that way. Because if, if you're going to let the fans run the team, then you're going to be in a mess. I think the Knicks would be interested. I could see how they get in play again. You take a package together the contracts very easily. The Bulls could use it as, all right, we're going to reset around a bunch of picks and, you know, maybe they get Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin and where we're going to play with those guys now. And, and we'll figure this out. I just think that's probably a, let's talk over the summertime thing versus let's make that move right now today in season. I want to stick with the Bulls, but I want to look at the Bulls. So we know who New York could be going after. We know they need depth. Chicago are in a little bit of a different position, right? They need, as I said a moment ago, they need juice. They need somebody that can, when there's no, I don't know, when there's no, say, Kobe White's out, they're six, they're six man, their guard um, off the bench, they look weak. When there's no Vucevic in that rotation, there seems to be a little bit of an issue there too. Uh, um, so what do they need in terms of if they were to be like buyers right now, what would they be looking at? Yeah. I mean, ideally you're trading for better health then you can't do that. Obviously like that, that's a major problem, but I think for the bulls, the big issue for them is just it, it's, it's roster balance is what, what they need. They've got a ton of guards and wings and I think that's, that's fine. But I think, Fans look at it as everybody's downsized. It's all about small ball and three guard lineups and all these things. And that's true, but that, that still means a couple of those guys need to be able to play bigger. And DeRozan can do that, but he's kind of the only one. Caruso can guard up a uh, position, but but it's you you struggle. We we saw the Celtics finally in their last matchup with Chicago for the season. They're fully healthy and they kind of bullied them. They got inside and really owned and controlled the paint against them with relative ease. So I think for the Bulls, you'd be looking for a wing with some size because unfortunately I'm supposed to be Patrick Williams. He's kind of not become that guy. I'm not out on Williams yet. We give up on young players way too early in this league. I think the challenge though becomes is what are you chasing? Are you chasing the eight spot? Like where are you going? And even if that is what you're chasing, are you chasing it because yeah, we can get to eight. And if we finally turn it around, we can be the one seed or we can get to seven. We can beat the two seed. 
I don't think they 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 can in the playoffs beat Boston, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Philadelphia. I don't even think they can beat Cleveland if Cleveland finishes that high. So I, I'm just not sure I'd be going in to make trades. I, I also don't know that I would fully blow this thing up. Everybody's talking about trade DeRozan and trade Vucevic and trade Levine and all that. I mean, those you have to return great trade packages to do that. I'm not sure that's on the table. Zach, don't tell Zach Levine you don't think they could beat Boston in a series because he genuinely said the other day that he thinks they played them well. Um, I mean, they do. I they beat them three out of four times, right? So you, it's yeah. the pressure. They beat right? all they, the good just teams. Turn the pressure right? up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the bad yeah. teams that yeah. seem to. And we've seen Boston go through that, and you see good teams go through that all the time. Fail, they 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 play down to the competition, right? Chicago. Yeah, the problem is the. Yeah, the, Chicago plays up against the very best teams, but then plays crappy against everybody else. So that's been their problem. <laughs> I will say this last season when Lonzo was healthy before he got injured, I always felt like their depth was really thin. I felt mm-hmm. like their starting five, their eight eight man rotation was solid, but you don't need an eight man rotation for eighty two games. You need a ten to eleven man rotation, and then yeah. you can start shortening that in the postseason. So for me, I just find it really tough to to envision them being a playoff threat until one, that, as you said, they're healthy and two, they can add somebody in there that can just give them a bit of a spark off the bench because I do feel like at times they stagnate. So they're a team that, honestly, they're one of the teams that when I have to watch them and I've used that word, they have to watch them. I'm not like, oh, let me go watch Chicago. I'm like, oh, I've got to watch Chicago. And uh, it, it does. They're not one of my favorite teams to watch yeah. play at the moment. It can be a slog sometimes. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I Talking of slugs, we'll stay on the East Coast. Another team that is not one of my favorites to watch at the moment, or have been all season, is the Sixers. They, to me, I just don't like the brand of basketball they're playing. I just feel like their depth is again. They they made some moves this off season to improve that depth. But I just feel like it's a grind watching them play. Harden's up to his level and Bede's playing at a great level. But beyond those two, I'm being a bit disingenuous to Tobias Harris here. But beyond those two, there is a drop. Do you see these guys as as buyers? Like, you know, they definitely came into the season as um with a championship in mind. They made championship moves during the offseason. How do you feel about them? Yeah, without a doubt, they're buyers. This is a, is a short window and they recognize this is a we got to get this done in the next two, three years kind of situation. And then, then it's time to probably reset in a big way, whether that's reset around Embiid or reset fully by, by moving. I, I think getting Tyrese Maxey back one makes him a lot more watchable because boy, he's fun. Um, but it also is, they're, they're just a better team, but they need more shooting. That's the single biggest thing that they need. And th- them and everybody, right? You, you can, we could go through the list of all the contenders and I don't know if you've got, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten different teams you think could maybe make the finals. Um, you're going to – common theme with all of them is add another shooter. Steve Kerr, who coaches a team with Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson on it, said we need more sh- That just kind of tells you, you know, where that's at. So I think what happens with Philadelphia is it's Daryl Morey. I don't think they've got another big trade in them. I, I just don't – I don't see where that would come from. 
but he's going to do stuff around the edges of his roster. And he's got some movable pieces there that you're going to see. He's going to do something to flesh that team out a little bit more. And that's where a guy like uh, Kyle Kuzma, who makes $13 million, could be in play for them because it's a very gettable contract. You don't have to do much to match the salary. I also think whether it's via trade or the buyout market, they're going to come away with another big because you have to be protected if Embiid goes down for any length of time, which unfortunately tends to happen with him, you cannot be rolling with P.J. Tucker, Montrezl Harrell as your only fives that you trust on the roster. Paul Reed has completely fallen out of the rotation. They're not doing anything with him. So they're going to come away with whether it's on the buyout market or or through a minor trade or something. I wouldn't be shocked fully if it turned into a, you know what, let's get Andre Drummond back. And they can, because remember, the Nets didn't waive him after the Nets acquired him. So he is a guy, his contract just expired and he signed with the Bulls. If the Bulls say, yeah, backup center is a luxury for us because we're not very good, Philly could go trade for Drummond for next to nothing. And that could be a you know the solution because he played really well uh, for Philadelphia a year ago. Because they're used to having that hulking big man, so their system is <clears throat> built around that. Exactly. Title. What's the uh, what's the cap situation in Philadelphia looking like? Because there's a player I've got in my mind, but he earns a bit, so I don't want to pull it out there and sound stupid until I know where their cap space is. <laughs> so they're in a little bit of a weird spot. So they're this year they're about 1.2 million over the luxury tax. They'd love to make a trade that gets them out of the tax entirely. And I think much like we've seen the Celtics do uh, for a couple years, here is if they can get out of the tax fully by just hey we're going to salary dump player X or maybe player Y if you need to, well they'll do that and then they'll open a couple roster spots, bring in guys via the buyout market um, or just you know G League cops or whatever it is to flush it out. But who who your guy tell, tell me who it is because i'm very curious now for shooting he earns a bit and we've mentioned toronto one of those teams that could be so uh gary trent yeah that i've thought about him there because i think he could fill a role i just if i'm toronto what does philly have that i really want yeah. i guess to to do that now they 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 they're just in a tough spot too because they don't have a ton of tradable picks because they moved picks in the Harden deal in the first place. So I think that's just where that one falls apart a little bit. But he's a guy I could see them saying if if they could get him and say, all right, we're gonna stay in the tax, he's the kind of player I think you could do. You know, him, Kuzma, somebody along those lines. I like both of them. I was a big Gary Trent guy um, before he moved to Toronto, and uh, a lot of people told me I was crazy. And I just think that he plays hard, he's a solid like prototypical free and D guy that's going to give you really reliable minutes. And he just strikes me as the type of dude you want on your bench. If you're looking for a deep playoff push, that's but, it. He's a playoff player for sure. Yeah. I agree. So there's a bunch of teams that I'm going to just mention Gary Trent for, because he's the, I'm on Gary Trent watch myself. Uh, Since we're on it, let's talk to Raptors just very briefly. They're yeah. one of the teams. Everyone in the league has their eyes on because it's, what are they going to do? Like there's a sense, and I, I very much believe this, that Masai Ujiri's not going to be content to sit in the middle. He's not going to be content to be somewhere between 7 and 12 in the conference. It's either going to be – now they may not be able to get much lower than 12 because they've already won so much this season, but is let's start pushing down the other way uh, versus – all right, let's you know, let's go all in. It's going to be one or the other. It's not going to be let's just sit here kind of in the middle and float through the rest of this year because they're in a very tricky spot for how deep are we going to extend ourselves into new contracts for 
Trent for Fred Van Vliet, or do we need to start to really reset this team around Siakam, uh, Barnes, and Ananobi? I think their roster building has been atrocious over the last year or so. Everybody thought this was amazing. They've got all these dudes who are six foot seven and six foot eight. Yeah, none of them can shoot. None of them can handle the ball uh, well enough against you know real pressure defense. Siakam's a really good player. Uh, Barnes is a good player. Ananobi's a good player. And then they also then built an entire bench that doesn't have a single good guard on it. It's, you know, I like like a guy like Dallin O'Banton, I think is a fun player and interesting, but that's a fun, interesting player. That's not a necessarily a good player right now. And their whole bench is you look, if you look at their box scores, go back. If anybody really wants to see their entirety of their bench for the last almost month is Christian Coloco, Thad Young, Chris Boucher, Kem Birch, and then occasionally Malachi Flynn gets mixed in there. Well, that's four centers in one guard. Like you can't, you can't win that way. That's just not something you you can really do. And I forgot Juancho Hernan Gomez, but again, another forward. They, they've got to do something to rebalance their roster. That may be too hard to do right now in season, but that's something I think we could see them do in a big way uh, in the off season. One of the things I always keep an eye on as well on these situations, and you'd know this more than me, is I'll go into coaching watch. So when a team like Toronto that's been winning, that's got a, a high level coach, goes into a rebuild or like they start flirting with a rebuild. One of the first questions I ask myself is, is that coach going to stick around for that rebuild or is he going to look to move on? Right. So I'm, I'm kind of keeping an eye on where Nick nurses and like any rumblings that come out about nurses happiness there, because he strikes me as a coach that so many teams would clamor for in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, we've got a good position now and we want to bring in a coach that can get us over that finish line. Yeah, I think with Is Nick that Nurse, would you, how, where would you stand? Yeah, I'm with you on that. Now, I think with Nick Nurse, I would say it's not a rebuild coming in Toronto. Mm-hmm. It's probably more of a reset. Um, that that's where I think it, it's, it is the difference. They, they may be down the rest of this year, but then it'll be our, we're resetting and making a new run at being a very good team in a year. So I think he probably just sticks it out in Toronto. Uh, now, if it became a, hey, we're trading Siakam and Ananobi and Van Vliet and Trent and every other veteran on the roster, then that, that becomes a different conversation. But I don't think that's where they're going to go. I like Nick Nurse. I, I do. Fun fact, I've said this to every podcast I've ever been on. He used to coach the Moy City's team. He coached them to two championships. So uh, I've got a little bit of an affinity towards Nick Nurse. I want to he has a lot of fun stories about playing in some of the, those those uh, games too, especially back uh, some of the, the like like club competitions where they bring in like every division's eligible and they would go in and they'd be they'd be they would have a 10 point lead because the other team was considered to be 10 points better. So you're basically playing the entirety of the game to hold a 10 point lead right from the jump. He's got some really cool stories about that. The basketball over here back then was um it it was weird. I mean <laughs> I mean it's not great now but um who is it that plays for London Lions? Now Sam Decker's in London. Sam Decker, so, yeah. You know, he's like the best player in the entire country at the moment. I'm sure he's going to win an MVP. Um, <laughs> It's like high school MVP though, right? So like, I don't know where we're going with this. Moving hey, on. MVPs or MVP awards, man. I don't have any, so I'd take it out. I'm like, <laughs> I had a few from high school leagues and then a, a couple of national level ones, but nothing major. Um, moving on. I want to stay in the East and then we'll do all the West together. So I want to look at Miami because Miami are another team similar to Toronto where the roster construction is just not totally there. They've built it full of aging guys and, 
that age has kind of come. Now, Kyle Lowry just doesn't look like the same player. No. Now, whether he's conserving himself for the postseason um, is always something. I mean, I love to watch Miami because I think Spo is such an amazing coach. Uh, the sets that they've run really intrigue me. But in terms of player personnel, Jimmy's aging, Kyle Lowry's aging. The bench itself isn't that deep. I feel like the the whole Duncan Robinson things are cloud hanging over the franchise at the moment because he just went from being so good as a as a movement shooter to so not good as a movement shooter that it's kind of what's going on there. And he's so a one skill player, so yeah. as a one skill player, if you lose that one skill even slightly, it becomes very hard to play the player. And he's earning a ton of cash, so it's a it's a really tough spot. I see them in a similar mold to Toronto. Just a hey, we're going to reset. We're not going to rebuild because we've got Spo. Um, where would you see them now? Would you see them as sellers coming up to this point? Uh, just trying to get, or would you see them as buyers just trying to retool on the fly? Buyers for sure. They they're not because of the age of the roster. They can't sell not yet. When they sell, it's going to be we are selling fully on our older players and we're going they're in a tough spot long-term financially though because they've got a ton of money locked up in jimmy butler not bad he still is worth every penny they're paying him bam Adebayo again not bad great player tyler here i've got a ton of money for a guy who's probably best if he's your third or ideally your fourth best guy on your team and then kyle lowry makes quite a bit They've got to re-sign Max Struess, who has become an absolutely integral uh, player for them. Gabe Vincent, who's far more important than I think the average fan realizes to that team, also needs a new contract. Like you said, they've got money locked up in Duncan Robinson. It's just a, a tough spot the way they built that roster. They have, I call them, they, they it's Bam and the Minis because they, they don't have any size on that roster besides him. It's you know, it's a whole bunch of dudes who are two threes masquerading as fours all season long, minus Haywood Highsmith, who's I think he's done great for Haywood Highsmith. Like he's not, you know, this is not a guy you're winning playoff series with as your, you know, rotation four uh, there. Never mind, you're starting four. So got to get a little bit more size. That old Mary, you're at seven injury. I know some people may laugh at this. That really hurt them because they thought, I think he was going to start. I think their plan was he was going to start at the five with Bam at the four, and that's how they were going to roll out to open games. And then, you know, put put some, uh, you know, whether it was Hero or Struess or whoever on the floor with Butler and Lowry, and that's where they were going to go. And then your seven got hurt. That sapped them with their depth. Orlando Robinson's been a little bit of found gold where he's played quite well uh, for them uh, on his two-way contracts. So I think the challenge for the Heat is they need to add it's just how can you add? They've got to find somebody who's open to taking on the Duncan Robinson deal. And I think at some point you're going to have to look at yourselves and say, all right, so in the playoffs, ideally we're we're healthy and ready to go. So for our, our backcourt spots, that gives us Lowry, Hero, Struess, Vincent, and Oladipo. Can we move one of them? in maybe along with Duncan Robinson, and then that fills a need elsewhere on the roster. I think that's something I have to consider. Um, first of all, I just want to say you pointed out there's um Robinson playing on the two-way. Uh, are you surprised that Miami are having have found gold on a two-way contract? Because I'm not surprised. No. <laughs> That's yeah, the Heat are, I, I like to say that the Heat are, they are, for me, they're the best 
overall development team in the league. Like they just develop talent. Great. The best draft and develop team in the league is, is Memphis. Um, but I, I, I think we may talk them here in a minute, but with the Grizzlies, it is, you know, every player except for Steven Adams, Tyus Jones, and then Danny Green, who hasn't even played this year, the Grizzlies drafted those guys, you know, or, or signed them as un, undrafted free agents. So that entire roster is basically guys they drafted and developed, which is, you know, incredible. But Miami, as far as their player development, especially, Especially on the bottom part of their roster. Yeah, I mean, just look at the guys they continue to crank out into these, you know, key key positions. It's it's absolutely nuts. I've got them as one of the best talent evaluators in the league because mm-hmm. they really do evaluate like low end of what we would classify as low end in terms of draft stock, yep. low end talent, and they just evaluate to perfection. And that's why I was so excited when Boston picked them to Sam Hauser because the, if the Heat are in negotiations to bring him in, then you know they've done their due diligence. But yeah, Miami too is um they they make really good use of their G League team as well like they they really use that as an extension versus just some other thing like they they really do a nice job going down and they they send guys down there with targeted of hey we want this guy to run 20 pick and rolls a game and who, it doesn't matter if we win or lose. This is the G League, you know. So we want him to run twenty pick and rolls a game, and then the guy goes and does it, and then they're like, "All right, so he can do that, great." Or I already can't do that, but now we know at least. So great, great, great overall uh, organizational strategy in Miami. Who would you have as some ideal kind of targets for them if they're going to be buyers? Where where does their like? What range are we looking at in terms of money, and what type of players would be available? Yeah, you get you're you're looking somewhere in the ten to twenty million range. Um, any anything that you're dreaming bigger, that's going to involve moving one of those really high salaried guys, and those are either key rotation guys or guys that are just not going to trade. So I think get shocker Kyle Kuzma, Boyan Bogdanovich, you know anybody who can can even if they can continue to masquerade a little bit as a four, um, that that's what they need there, there in Miami. So those are kind of the guys that immediately come to mind for me. Cause that's, that's really all they need. They don't need any more wings. They don't need any more ball handlers. They, they could use another big, I guess, but I think that's, again, that's probably something you get on the buyout market versus necessarily trading for, unless it's just, all right, yeah, this guy is a toss in in there and we're going to give him, you know, 15 minutes a night or whatever behind bam. That's fine. Moving on, I want to look at. I'm I'm trying to get through the East as quick as possible because there's, <laughs> there's still yeah. teams in the West. We're getting stuck. Yes. Yeah. So the next one quicker now. Next one's going to be quick anyway because they're the best team in the league right now. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I've got their jerseys in the background, just the two of them. Um, the Celtics, right? So we're coming in. The Celtics, in my opinion, they're not buyers. They're not sellers. They're kind of just. We're the best team in the league right now. If something appears that allows us to improve our depth, then, hey, we'll look at that. Um, you know, Justin Jackson's contract's now fully guaranteed. I, I very much see that as a tradable deal. Um, they've got that open roster spot. I'd like them to try and do a two-for-one deal to have two open roster spots, one for buyout market, one for free agent market. Whether or not that's logistically possible or even logical to do so is a completely com- – uh, I'm open to that conversation. But where would you see them? That's how I view them right now. Yeah, I think they need another wing. They don't they certainly don't need any more guards and ball handlers. They've got those coming out of their ears. Um, 
I'm not worried about the big rotation. I think they're fine. I think, you know, especially when you get into the to the playoffs, you're going to have – there's no back-to-back, so you're going to have uh, Rob and Al every single game. Um, and then you've got Grant plays fine, you know, is, is the third big. Luke Cornett is fine as your fourth big. And I think Blake Griffin is uh, better than most fifth bigs on teams. So you're, you're fine with, with that grouping. I, I think it's another wing. And for me, it's – I don't even care if it's a wing who, by the time you hit the playoffs, he's probably not in the eight-man rotation. That's fine. We've still got 40 games to go to even get to that point. And Jalen Brown's now got what has unfortunately become for him, he just picks up some knock every year and it becomes kind of a nagging thing for at least a month or so. I'd be like, hey, sit, rest, get it over with. Be done with it. I'd like to bring Jason Tatum's minutes down slightly if I can over these remaining 40 games. Problem is... They can't do anything super impactful without trading a rotation player because that's the most uh, salaries are attached to those guys. They don't have a guy making even $10, $12 million that's just sitting on the bench and not part of the rotation. So that's that's where if you're doing any sort of huge upgrade, but you know, I, I threw out, I know you know this because you've seen it in our Celtics blog, uh, Slack, but Chris Duarte, like I think is a guy who could make some sense. Indiana seems willing to move on him. If you could get him at a reasonable cost, go get a guy like that, a guy who can play, you know, 15, 20 minutes a night in the regular season, you can move on because just Sam Hauser is starting not to cut it right now. So I th- think you're just going to go there, but that, that that's it. That, that you don't need much. I mean, such is life at the top of the league. I looked at one for my, uh, my own kind of, how can I put this? I will look at one that I would like to see that is I don't view as at all feasible. Financially, I'd see it as possible. Uh, you've said you don't think they need another big, and I completely agree, but I'd like to do a little bit of consolidation there and kind of improve that spot behind Rob and Al and then have Cornet slide down into that fourth big or be part of the deal. And one guy I looked at, and I just wanted to put this out there so you can tell me how silly I am, is... um. Isaiah Hartenstein, who's Hartenstein struggling over in New York. You could do it for, you know, I mean, the trade machine's one of the worst. I know you've said this before. It's one of the worst <laughs> things you can give to fans. Um, but it works. Like, if you put, like, a Luke Cornet and um, there was somebody else in, but I think it was Gallo. Gallo and Cornet plus picks would bring in Isaiah Hartenstein. And that just, for me, that just, he's a better player than what Cornet is. He gives you a little bit more... Um, movement a little bit more physicality would you see that as a deal worth doing or would you just be like no this is just not worth it at all i love isaiah hardenstein so i'm all all in on if if they could have got him somehow i think your challenge becomes i don't want to trade Gallinari unless it is a surefire this is a huge upgrade for the rest of this year years moving forward and all those kind of things and hardenstein's great but i just feel like there's there's got to be better because yeah. i think with the celtics you have to be cautious of get it you can be ruthless when you're in pursuit of a banner and trying to win a title but you just got to be be careful that you can't you can't go too far overboard with that because then you become known as like hey they don't care about you like you know and gallo just you know i don't know what was it six months ago or whatever spent his entire press conference telling us about you know me and my dad used to watch celtics games when i was a kid and i always said that's where i wanted to play and you know he got hurt but you know, well, let's let's see where it goes. But I'd just be very cautious with that. The other thing is too, got to be super careful with trading picks because you don't want to be caught in a spot two years from now where all right, we got to do something 
bigger to make a move to really support this roster. And now we're out of draft picks to trade. So I'd be very, very careful of um, adding a lot more first round picks into stuff if I was Boston. That was my worry as well, was putting the picks in there. I mean, I've spoke to people and they're like, hey, well, when you need picks, it's going to be because Tatum or Brown are leaving. And I'm like, that's not – it could be that no. they leave because you don't have the stuff there to build around yeah. them for the next five years. So I agree. Yeah. I just – I do like – I'll also pick. say, too, the Knicks, they're going to ask it, the world for him because they love him. And I know people are like, how do they love a guy who plays 15 minutes a night by Mitchell Robinson? That's why they love him because Mitchell Robinson isn't exactly the picture of health um, in the league. So they, they're all about like, let's just, you know, keep rolling with this guy who they have on an absolutely great contract. Last Eastern conference team. We're there 45 minutes in. We will get quick now. Brooklyn. KD's injury obviously shows how much depth they've got. I think they still looked good in their game against Boston. I think Vaughn's doing a great job of their, they always you could always be deeper. I do think that they their end of rotation guys could be in could be in need of an upgrade. I'm not sure what positions. Where would you think they needed the upgrades? Yeah, I just think anybody else who can step into rotation minutes for them would, would be big. You know, if you could get one more score right now for the next month or so while KD is down, but if they need to do something else up front. It can't be all Nick Claxton. They, they need one more big uh, in that rotation for sure. Like they're, they're a team that began. I, I'm going to just throw him out there just because he's on a minimum salary. He's a backup, but if they could get Andre Drummond back again for another run, that, that'd be fine. You just, you know, even last night's game, you saw when Claxton went off the floor, they lost any semblance of inside rim protection. It's been that way all year when he's on the floor. They're an amazing defense and they look really great. Claxton's been, you know, should be on the high, high up on the all defense team list, even maybe an outside, uh, you know, deploy contender, like somebody, you know, finished third, maybe in the voting, something along those lines. But, it's tough when he goes off the floor. They got to be really cautious then. Another name for a big man that I like, and he's currently rumored to be working out with LA, the Lakers, is for Brooklyn. This is is the first time I'm mentioning him. Is Demarcus Cousins? I think he gave you he gave some good minutes out in the West last season. Um, do you think he could be a viable option? Say Drummond doesn't go to Brooklyn, maybe as you said, Philadelphia pick him up, and then Brooklyn are like, hey, we do need that second big. Could, yeah, could I like him a. <clears throat> I like him better for Philly than Brooklyn because I think Philly has the defenders who can cover for him. Um, Brooklyn would, I'd rather see them get, get someone else who can defend in there. who can kind of, you know, at least hold their own a little bit defensively. Cousins is not, you know, necessarily that guy, but again, you don't, you, you're talking a 10 minute a night guy. So yeah, if you, you could sign him on the you know free agent market, like, yeah, absolutely. Take, take a look at him. It wouldn't be the worst idea. Whiteside's still a free agent as well, right? Yeah, Whiteside, I, I think I, it's a little baffling to me that he doesn't have a job. Because if you go back and look, he played pretty well for Utah the season ago. He he really did did a nice job uh, for the Jazz. So I'm just not sure what's going on with that. Next team, we're moving west now. We're going out west. So We got to pick up the pace. Let's do it. Pick up the pace. <laughs> we'll start with a team that is in a weird spot. And I've said this before. They're straddling two timelines. I always think that can end in disaster. It could also end up going really well. Who knows? Is the Warriors. Obviously, the Warriors are going to be buyers, most likely. I don't see them being sellers. There. Where would you say their biggest hole is? What are they looking to fill? Bench depth. Any any kind of bench depth. Another big. Uh, Steve Kerr talked about we need more size. We need more shooting. So that's, that's what you're looking for there. I think with them, yeah, everybody gets – 
gets thrown off because they made the big Wiggins trade a couple years ago. But this team has not, since this group has kind of come to power, they've not done in-season moves. It's just not what they do. They kind of build their roster, they run. They may get involved in the buyout market, but big trades. But I think this is the year. Uh, James Wiseman is never going to pop in Golden State. It's just not going to happen. Um, he needs too much time in development. He needs those minutes to play through through it and figure it out. It's not going to happen for a team that's chasing titles. I move that contract. Go get what you can. That'll help you out uh, up in your front court. But build up your depth a little bit there. If you can also add a shooter too, so much the better. But but that's what they, they've got to do. I like I like James Wiseman as a as a guy on a rebuilding team. I think that he could be very good. Obviously, when you think of rebuilding team with long rangey guys, you're like, yeah, he just needs to go to Orlando and he's going to figure it out. But <laughs> it's not going to happen. Could be. Yeah, I, any- I think he'd be great on a team like the Spurs that yeah. could throw him 25, 30 minutes a night at the five and just say, play through it. We'll figure it out. And the Spurs have questions around both of their big men at the minute mm-hmm. in, in the long-term, what we call it, long-term res- stability of uh, yeah. Jakob Pertl and Zach Collins. So yeah. that could that could make sense there. Well, let's look at, let's stay on the West. I know you mentioned Memphis a moment ago, so... How do you feel about Memphis? They they have to be buyers, right? I mean, they're playing so. Oh good. yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, Memphis is in a spot where they are. They're what twenty eight million or so under the luxury tax. So that is a ton of uh, space for them. So they they they're they're a team that screams. You know, let's let's consolidate a couple of these kids. Maybe Danny Green's contract. I'd love to see them get Bogdanovich. I think he would be amazing for them. Oh, another wing, a guy who can really shoot and score, really helps prop that team up in those moments when John Morant sits or Desmond Bain, who little scary. I think it one of it was on JJ Reddick's podcast. He said his uh, one one of the bones in his toe is still in two pieces. That's not great. Right. I, I don't think I don't think bones are supposed to be in two pieces. So uh, I'm a little worried about that. Um, you know, but if you could get Bogdanovich, go go do it. I like Kuzma for them too, just a little less so. But I think Bogdanovich would be perfect. I, and the challenge is it's gonna have to involve Danny Green and probably one, if not two, of their kids. And I said it, they're the best draft and develop team in the league. They don't like giving up their own guys, they love hanging on to their own players there in Memphis. So but sometimes if you wanna get to where you want to be, you gotta you gotta eventually bite the bullet and trade a couple of your own grown players. I've got a team I think Danny Green would be good on, and that's pretty much any contending team. Um, and the reason I say that is because we've gone for a bunch of contending teams, not once have we mentioned Danny Green. And I just think he's such a, a viable option for so many for what he brings to you as a vet on the bench. I'm a big um, Grizzlies guy. I, I do like watching the Grizzlies. You know I like the young teams anyway. Mm-hmm. Now, less of a young team, a very Luka Doncic-centric team that definitely needs a running mate. They're, they're missing Jalen Brunson. We've spoke about this before. The Mavs, what, do you, what positions need to be filled and do you have any ideal targets that the Mavs could look to at least try and inquire about? 
It's not another bigger wing, a guy who can shoot. I mean, it's it's like a broken record, but that's what they need. They yeah. need another guy in there that can put the ball in the basket. There are too, too many possessions end with Lucas setting up an open shot that clangs off the rim. Like, like you just need some guys you can hit. The Reggie Bullock signing has not gone the way they wanted. He just says it's just for whatever reason, it's just not working out there. Tim Hardaway Jr. starting to figure it out since they put him back in the starting group. Christian Wood is, is you know, he's been terrific. But it's yeah, I mean, just one, one more shooter. Now they've got some some tradable deals and stuff they can do. They they've, they owe one more pick to the Knicks. That's probably going to go this year, uh, and then after that, they've got all their picks that they can trade. So they they can get in the mix for just about anybody. The question is, are where where, where are we going with this? Are we are we adding money to this roster? What what are we doing uh, moving forward? But yeah, I mean, they're another team that can really do well with adding you know one of those forwards that can kind of play. So Bogdanovich, Kuzma. You know, again, it's you know not to just keep throwing those same names out there, but those are the guys that that, that could really probably help them. Well, just to kind of put an aside in here, this kind of really speaks to the way the NBA has gone, right? Like we've had our golden generation of point guards where every team just needed another point guard, a backup guard, a guard that can be a combo guard, somebody that can score off the dribble. We've had golden generations of bigs back to the basket guys, then they turned into stretch fives. I still say to this day, if Jalil Okafor had been drafted 10 years earlier, he would have been a superstar. Um, and now we're in this golden generation of wings and just multifaceted point forwards. And every team needs them because there's, there's a bunch of wings. There's not many multifaceted wings that can handle the rock, mm-hmm. that can run sets. So it makes sense that all these teams need them because the best teams have them. And that's the, that's probably the, the easiest analysis you can give without being like, and this is why. <laughs> and we sure. can do that another day. Last team on the list. And then I've got one question for you um, for the Celtics that I want to close out with. So last team on the list is your favorite team on the entire face of the planet. They wear purple and gold, um, <laughs> the Los Angeles Lakers. I know you talk about the Lakers a bunch, so I've left it till last so we can get through it as quickly as possible for you. Yeah, the big thing with the Lakers is if you're going to make a move now, you ha- it has to be a move that helps you today, and you're fine with that being your big move for the summer. Because mm-hmm. anybody you pick up, you either need to be in a spot where you're going to re-sign that player, or that player's already signed, and that's probably then going to eat up all of your cap space. So I know I people hammer the, they should go get Bogdanovich. That's great, but are you cool then if Bogdan Bo- or Boyan Bogdanovich is your main off-season acquisition too? That's fine if you are. I have no problem with that. I think he'd be great with the Lakers. I think that'd be a wonderful fit. Problem is, you know, are you good with that? Is it Turner and Heald? You know, do you reapproach the Pacers and say, all right, we will do both picks and, you know, we'll, 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 we'll go all in on that and we'll throw in, you know, somebody alongside Russell Westbrook. If, you know, if you really want, do you really want an Austin Reeves? You know, all right, fine. We'll, 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 we'll do it and make that happen. It's just going to be, you got to, this is oversimplifying it, but it's so, so important. Whatever the Lakers do, it has to be the right move. Because if you make another bad move, you're not going to be able to get out of it without then really having a hard conversation about do we need to fully change up this team? My outlook on it is wait until the off season. This it's easy enough said. Obviously, you have to appease LeBron, and he, it's not like he has endless time left in the NBA. But you you can reevaluate how severe AD's injury is when he comes back. You can really bring him back slowly. If you're if you're telling yourself right, this season is what it is. We know that. A- healthy AD 
we know what he can do when we when we make him the first option when LeBron's playing that like scutty Pippin role. And then what we can do is wait till the offseason, let some contracts expire, and actually be more judicial about who we bring in, the age of the players we bring in, and the profile of the player in terms of skill set. And then we can rebuild properly. I think anything they do now would just, for me, it would justify as a panic move of trying to keep LeBron happy. And yeah, you've got players like Turner that could come in and be and be legitimate and put Davis back down to that four position. But for me, the offseason just makes far more sense as much as it would be a tough conversation with Brian. The only challenge with waiting till the offseason is you can't trade Russell Westbrook then. Now you're working from a, we've got to do it with cap space because no one's doing a meaningful sign and trade involving Russell Westbrook. That's not just going to, it's just not going to happen. That's just not who he is as a player anymore. So this is, you're down to it. You're in your last month of being able to trade him for anything you know of real value. So that starts to become a little bit of a challenge. I'm not saying that's the wrong thing because don't throw good money after bad, but that's, that's the only thing. If you're there, then if nothing else, write it out now and just kind of kind of go forward and you know, fit, figure it out that way. If he comes off the books, are they too far into the tax to make it matter in, in the offseason? No, if he comes off the books, they're going to have 30 plus million in cap space to, to spend if he completely comes off the books. But it's 30 plus. Million, who are you spending it on? Right. That's yeah. your, your 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 problem. That's that's, you know, and the last thing this team needs, they don't need to go the third star route. You know, I, I don't know that there's a th- attainable third star that gets them out of this. You know, if anything, I'd be taking that 33 million and I'd split it up amongst three 10 million players. And there we go. Well, we're moving it forward. That way we've rebuilt our depth. I think we're moving. We're in a generation now where the duo is more impactful than the trio anyway. Like we're seeing that teams are favoring bigger roster depth one through. Yeah, that's it. It's easier to build a roster out. Yeah. Yeah. So that wraps us up. The last question I want to ask is Jason Tatum the other day after the Brooklyn Nets game. Uh, so yesterday at the time of recording spoke about his wrist still hurting, hurt it on the first game of the season. It's taped up ring finger taped up to the index finger thumb taped up. Are we talking off season surgery? No idea. Hey, yeah. I, I don't know. That's, you know, something he's certainly not going to answer that now today. The team's not going to say anything about it. That'll probably be something when, you know, what we hope is a long playoff run and, you know, as they're, they're lifting the trophy, then maybe we hear Jason Tatum's going under the knife, you know, this summer. But, yeah, it's uh, I, I don't think we're getting anything, uh, you know, meaningful, meaningful. notable. Like where he's not going to say anything, nor is the team. Yeah, I think for me, I'm just very much on the, hey, if you need it, then once the season's over, get it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, health is wealth. And if you want to have a long career, then you need to take care of those injuries as they arise or as soon mm-hmm. as physically possible. Right, yeah. everybody, we've run for an hour. We like to run for 45 minutes. So if you're still awake, if you're still with us, thank you. If you left early, well, you can always come back and then you'll hear me t- say this anyway. Until next week, thank you for watching the Posting Up podcast with Keith Smith, the legend, the cap expert, the... I like to think of you as quite a good scout as well. So I'll call you the scout. <laughs> I appreciate uh, it. And then me. So everybody have a good one. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and we'll catch you next week.